Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm so thankful this morning that I know the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, and I'm so thankful today that he is in complete control. Let me remind you how you can give during this time that uh, we have had to physically disconnect from one another. Uh, we can still stay socially connected. And, and you can give online at summitoncog.com. You can use the uh, Church Center app that many of you have downloaded on your phone. You can use that to give. You can text to give. And uh, yes, you can still put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and mail it to us. And again, thank you so much for continuing to be consistent and faithful and generous in your giving. These times that we're in right now have presented new opportunities, and we want to be able to maximize and seize those opportunities that the Lord has placed before us. Well, this morning, I want to talk to us about something that I believe God is wanting to produce in all of us in, uh, in this crisis that we're in, and that's patience. I want to talk to you today about patience because all of us, in a sense right now, we're in a season of waiting. We're, we're wondering, you know, what is our next step in this? We're, we're waiting to get new information from our president, from our governor. We're, uh, we're waiting to hear from our local officials. But more than that, we as followers of Christ, uh, we're waiting on God. What, what is God going to do? And when is God going to do something? I believe God is already working in this situation. Uh, but when will we see God take action? Not just in this crisis that we're in right now, but there's some of you that's watching me this morning, and, and you've been waiting for God to show up in a situation, to show up in a circumstance in your life. You've been praying and you've been believing, but you still haven't seen a change in the situation. You still haven't gotten the answer that you've been praying for. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about waiting on God. Waiting on God. Now, we're not the first to struggle with this waiting game. Look at what one of the psalmists said here in Psalm 13 and 1. He said, how long will thou forget me, O Lord? <laughs> Has anybody ever felt like that? You know, like, hey, God, you know, here I am. God, have you forgotten me? God, do you remember me? And that's what the psalmist is saying here. He said, Lord, how long wilt thou forget me? Forever? And sometimes we feel that way, don't we? We feel like God just has forgotten us forever. And then he goes on and he says, how long wilt thou hide thy face from me? God, don't you hear me? God, don't you see me? L listen to what the psalmist said here in Psalm 69 and 3. He said, I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. I think that we can all relate to that. We can all identify with that. We know what it's like to be waiting for God to take action in our lives. And then look at what the prophet Habakkuk said in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 2. He said, how long 
Did you know that there's over 50 passages of Scripture in the Bible where people are asking God this question? How long? And Habakkuk says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Now, we know that God listens. And in all of these situations, God eventually showed up and God eventually took action. But not until after a season of waiting. And Habakkuk says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen. So today, let's talk about waiting on God. Now, in my life, the Lord has used three things to teach me how to wait. And all of those things are here in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at together today. But uh, I want you to get your Bibles. I want you to get whatever device you use to access the Scriptures. And go with me here to James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Notice what the Apostle James says. Now listen, James is the brother of Jesus. And listen to what he says. He says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Listen to me, I believe Jesus is coming soon. I believe that more than I've ever believed it in my life. But he says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Somebody say amen to that. The Lord's coming is near. He says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. And then he says, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now there's so much that we can extract from this passage of scripture. And as I said, I wanna begin by just talking about three things that God has used to teach me patience, to teach me how to wait. And three things that I think he uses to teach all of us how to wait on him. And here's the first thing that God uses to teach us how to be patient and how to wait on him. It's uncontrollable circumstances. Uncontrollable circumstances. Listen to what James says here. He says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is. Notice, he gives us two examples here of uncontrollable circumstances. First of all, he talks about the Lord's coming. And you, you know, none of us have any control over when the Lord is going to return. I do believe with all of my heart that we are close to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that, that, that everything is lining up for his return. But you know, none of us have any control over what the hour or what the day or even maybe the season is going to be like when the Lord returns. And, and so he says, be patient then brothers until the Lord's coming. And then he says, see how the farmer waits. Another example here of uncontrollable circumstances. There, there's only so much that a farmer can do. 
He can plow up the ground. He can put the seed in the dirt. He can do his best to keep the weeds out. But, but the farmer can't control the weather. He can't control how much rain is going to fall. He, does, he can't control how much the sun is going to shine. There's some things that he can control, but there's other things he cannot control. And so he just has to learn to be patient. Not only that, there's always a season between when you plant and when you harvest. And so the farmer understands that, that it takes time, that once you put the seed in the ground, that seed has to take time to germinate and then produce the fruit and the life that comes out of that seed. And so a farmer has to be patient. And so James tells us we don't have any control over the Lord's coming, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And then he says that the farmer can only control so many things, but there's a lot of things that are out of his control. And listen, let me tell you, God has used uncontrollable circumstances more than once to teach me how to be patient, to teach me how to wait on him. As many of you know, before Jamie and I moved here to Summerton, uh, we spent 19 years in Atlanta, Georgia. And more than once, I was on those six and eight lane highways uh, when you got into a traffic jam where everything came to a stop. And most of the time, I was right in the middle lane. And I was surrounded by cars that were just stopped. There was nowhere you could go. And, and so you just had to sit there and be patient until the traffic started moving again. God uses uncontrollable circumstances to teach us how to wait to teach us how to be patient. And I'm just going to be honest with you right now, and I've admitted this before, I'm not a good waiter. I've never understood why when we go to a restaurant that our servers are called waiters. They're not the ones waiting. We're the ones waiting. And God uses uncontrollable circumstances to teach us how to wait on him. But not only does he use uncontrollable circumstances, somebody say amen to this one right here. He can use unchangeable people to teach us patience and how to wait on him. Look at what James says. He says, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, why does he use prophets as an example when it comes to unchangeable people? Because here's what the prophets would do. The prophets would get the word from God and then they would deliver that word to the people. But many times the prophets would get discouraged because even though they had delivered the word to the people, they were still not seeing a change in the people's lives. And prophets had to understand that there was only so much that they could control when it came to seeing change in people's lives. And you know, I've had to remind myself that, of that many times. Because God will give me a word, and I know it's a word for the people. And I'll deliver that word, but still you don't see change in people's lives. Listen, all we can do is what God's called us to do. We can preach the word, we can teach the word, we can share the word, but then it's up to the people to hear the word, to obey the word, and allow the word to transform and change their lives. And so he uses unchangeable people sometimes to teach us how to wait on him and how to be patient. And then a third thing that he uses to teach us patience and how to wait on God is he uses unexplainable problems. 
And wow, there is no better example of this than a guy by the name of Job. And listen to what he says. He says, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Well, who's Job? Well, he's got a book in the Old Testament that's named after him. And in the first two chapters of the book of Job, we find that he loses everything he has except for his wife. In chapter 1, he loses his possessions, he loses his cattle, he loses his livestock, he even loses all of his children. And then when you come to Job chapter 2, he loses his health. Job has literally lost everything he has, and it's almost like he has been set up as a target because God gave the devil permission to do all of that to Job. And as far as we know, and I've read this book, there is nowhere that explains why God allowed that to happen. And so here Job was facing an unexplainable problem. But let me just tell you something today. Even if God were to explain to us why things are happening the way they are in our life, we still wouldn't understand. But here's what I've learned to do. I've learned to understand that we as followers of Christ, that we don't live by explanations. We live by the promises of God. I remember when my boys were little and they were learning to ride bicycles. And I would try to explain everything I could to them about how to ride a bicycle. You know, you get up on the seat, you put your feet on the pedals, you put your hands on the handlebars, you stay focused on where you're going. You know, don't panic. Don't, don't allow fear to overtake you. I could explain everything about how to ride a bicycle to them. But here's what they would always say. Dad, thank you for the explanation, but promise me that you're not going to let go of this bicycle. And you know, that's the way it is with God. We don't live by explanations. We live by the promises of God. God could explain everything, but we're still going to say, God, promise us that you're not going to leave us. God, promise us that you're not going to forsake us. God, promise us that you're not going to let us go. And so I want you to notice right here, I want you to notice three promises that we need to hang on to when we are waiting on God. Because remember, we don't live by explanations. We live by the promises of God. So let's look at three promises that God gives us to hang on to when we're waiting on God. And promise number one is this, God rewards patience. God rewards perseverance. God rewards endurance. Look at what the scripture says, James 5 and 11. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. Notice it doesn't say we consider blessed those who have quit. It doesn't say we consider blessed those who have given up. It doesn't say that we consider blessed those who have thrown in the towel. We consider blessed those who have hung in there those who have persevered, those who have been patient, 
those who have waited. Look at this next passage of Scripture in James 1 and 12. It says that God blesses the people who patiently endure testing. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. But listen, I don't want you to think that you've got to wait until you get to heaven to be blessed for your patience. God can bless your patience today. God can bless your patience in this season that we're in right now. Let me, let me just ask you this, or let me just say this. I believe that marriages are stronger because people persevered through crises. Spouses, husbands, and wives, when things got tough, they persevered. When things got tough, they hung in there. When things got tough, they didn't give up. And because of that, their marriage is stronger than it's ever been. Think about on your job. If you keep hopping from one job to the next, every time things get difficult, you'll never rise to another level with that company. You're only blessed if you stay and endure the tough times. You may have to start out making minimum wage, but if you'll persevere, if you'll be patient, if you'll wait, you'll begin to rise up in that organization. You see, perseverance and patience has blessing attached to it. And that's what he's saying, that God blesses the people who patiently endure testing. Let me encourage you today, don't quit just because times get tough. Don't quit just because you're in a crisis. Don't quit just because you're feeling some pressure. I know sometimes when we're under pressure, all we can think about is relief. All we can think about is getting out from under it. But if you will hang in there, if you'll be patient, if you'll endure the hard times, God is going to bless you. And so we have a promise that God rewards patience. But here's another promise that he gives us, and that is God is working things out. Oh, yes, he does. And yes, he is. I love that song that, that, that we sing, even when you don't see it, he's working. And even when you don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. And look at what the scripture says here in James 5 and 11 about that. He said, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. You know, when you read the story of Job's life, if you stop at chapter 2, it's pretty discouraging. It's pretty depressing. But you can't stop in Job chapter 2. You see, even though Job had lost everything he had, including his health, he didn't quit. He continued to persevere. He continued to trust in God. So that when you get to Job chapter 42, Look at what it says. It says that when Job prayed for his friends, that the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. I feel like the Lord has given me a word for some folks that's watching this today, that whatever you, you, you lose in this crisis that we're in right now as a result of coronavirus and COVID-19, God wants you to know I'm going to restore it back to you twice. I'm, I'm going I'm to restore back to you double everything that you lost. I really sense that in my spirit right now as I'm speaking to you, that God is going to restore everything you lost double. Because look at what happens here with Job, verse 
12 and 13. It says, so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep. See, before he only had 7,000. Now he has 6,000 camels, whereas before he only had 3,000. Now he has a 1,000 team of oxen, whereas before he only had 500. And now he has a 1,000 female donkeys, whereas before he only had 500. But it doesn't stop there. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. You say, well, that's not twice as many as he had before. Yes, it is. If you include the 10 children that he already had in heaven, and now God has given him 10 more here on earth, God restored double everything that Job lost. Oh, but I love what these last two verses says. It says, Job lived 140 years. Now look at this, after that after chapter two after it felt like he was never going to recover from the crises that he was in it said he lived 140 years after that crisis 140 years when it looked like everything was coming to an end 140 years after he had lost everything he had he lived another 140 years look at this living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren then he died an old man who had lived a long full life somebody needs to know today God is working things out for your good whatever the enemy meant for evil God is going to turn it around and use it for your good and for his good can we just thank God for that this morning amen but then I want you to notice a third promise that God gives us as we're waiting on him. And this is the best one. And that is that God is in control. He's in control. I know sometimes when we look at our external circumstances, at the things that are going on around us, we wonder sometimes if God is in control. But I'm here today to remind you that we have the promise that God is still in control. Look at what Isaiah said. Referring to the Lord, he said, I am the Lord, and there is no other. This is what the Lord is saying to us. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I create the light and make the darkness. I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and your Creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? Listen, God is sovereign. That means He is large and in charge. That means he doesn't take orders from anybody. That means he doesn't need any of our advice. Look as we continue on in Isaiah chapter 45. He said, I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. Who else has held the oceans in his hands? Now that's some pretty big hands right there. 
If he can hold the oceans in his hands, who else has held the oceans in his hand? And then I love this. Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Talking about the span of his hand from the tip of his thumb to the tip of his middle finger. He said, who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? I'll tell you who has. God has. Think about this. If we could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. Now, that's moving fast. When you could travel 186,000 miles per second, you're booking it. So if, if we could travel at the speed of light, look at this, in two seconds, we would reach the moon. If we could travel at the speed of light in just eight minutes, we could reach our sun. If we could travel at the speed of light, it would still take us at, at 186,000 miles per second, it would still take us four months before we would ever exit our solar system. At 186,000 miles per second, it would still take us five years. Traveling even at that speed, it would still take us five years before we would arrive at Alpha Centauri, which is the next nearest sun to our own. Traveling at 186,000 miles per second, it would still take us 100,000 years before we would finally exit the Milky Way galaxy. And traveling at 186,000 miles per second, it would still take us, human beings, 1,500,000 years before we would enter the next great galaxy to our own, which is the Great Nebula. And we know that there are even galaxies beyond that. You say, Pastor, why are you showing that to us? Because at 186,000 miles per second, it still takes us 1,500,000 years to get into the next great galaxy, the Great Nebula. But the Bible says, the Scripture says, that God has measured the heavens. Hallelujah. That God, that's that's how big God is. That's how mighty God is. That's how powerful God is. That he can measure off the span of the heavens from the tip of his thumb to the tip of his middle finger. Somebody ought to praise God today because we serve a big God. We serve a mighty God. We serve a powerful God. Amen. And notice he said that he's measured off the heavens with his fingers. Who else knows the weight of the earth? or has weighed out the mountains and the hills. Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to be his teacher or counselor? I can tell you one thing, I don't. I don't even know enough sometimes to get me through my own day. I definitely couldn't be the teacher or the counselor to God. And then in verse 14, he says, Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? In just case you're wondering, no, he hasn't. Does he need instruction about what is good or what is best? No. For all the nations of the world, look at this, are nothing in comparison to him. Did you know that there was a time in Israel's history that after everything God had done for them, they forgot God. And so the prophet Isaiah had to remind them who God was. They had to, he had to remind them who their God was and what their God had the ability to do. And, and listen to what he says here in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Notice he's reminding them. He says, do you not know? And he says, have you not heard? And somebody here today needs to hear this word. So some of you who, who have 
seen maybe that, that, that God is not showing up in your situation the way that you thought, that you've, been, that you've been waiting on God and you're beginning to doubt maybe even the existence or the size or the power of God. Look, look at this, Isaiah says, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. And you and I need to be reminded today that the God that we serve had no beginning and he has no end. He is an everlasting God. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the everlasting God. But then he reminds them of something else. He says that he is the creator of the ends of the earth. I know what some of you are thinking. When this is over, pastor, I'm afraid I'm not going to have absolutely anything left. I'm afraid, pastor, that I'm going to lose everything, that I'm not going to have nothing left. Well, good news. God is a creator. And the Bible says that he created everything in this world. Listen to me. Out of nothing. God doesn't need anything to work with. You can bring him your nothingness and out of your nothingness God can create whatever it is that you need to sustain you. And he says, have you not heard, do you not know that the Lord is the everlasting God? We need to be reminded of that, that he is the creator of the ends of the earth. We need to be reminded of that. And then he says that he will not grow tired or weary. You and I need to remember that we serve an omnipotent, all-powerful God. Our God never gets tired. Our God never gets weary. You say, well, then why did he rest on the seventh day after creation if he doesn't get tired or weary? Listen, he didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because he was weary. He rested because he was finished. He rested because he was done. Our God is an omnipotent, all-powerful God. There is nothing too hard for him, including COVID-19, including the coronavirus. There's nothing too hard for our God. And then it goes on and he says, you need to be reminded that his understanding no one can fathom. Do you know what that means? That means we serve an omniscient God. He is all-knowing. He knows everything. He didn't have to read a book to get the information. He didn't have to take a class in order to be educated. God is omniscient. The Bible says that he knows exactly how many hairs are on our head. And can I tell you, it's not because he counted. He don't have to count. He just knows. God knows everything. And you need to be encouraged today to know that God knows where you are. And God knows what you're going through. And God knows what you are experiencing right now. He is an omniscient. He knows things about you and your future that you don't even know about yourself and that you don't even know about your future. He is an omniscient God. And then he goes on and says that he gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. That's how powerful God is, that he can even strengthen us who are weak, that he can give power to those of us who are weak. Notice he said even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. Listen, when my, when my kids were little, I didn't think they were ever going to wear out. I thought they'd be running around the house all the time. Couldn't, couldn't hardly ever get them to lay down. Couldn't hardly ever get them to go to sleep. But you know what? There always came that point in time when they couldn't go anymore. They got so tired and they got so weary. And that's what Isaiah said. Even kids get tired and weary. 
Even, even young men and women stumble and fall. But look at what he says. But those who wait on the Lord, he shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen, it is God that we are waiting on. And God has everything we need to get us through whatever crises we face, whatever trouble we face, whatever valley we might be walking through. It's God who is with us, and it's God who enables us to make it through. Come on, one more time. We've just got to give God praise for that this morning. Amen. Amen. But it wouldn't be right if I left here this morning and didn't talk to you about how. What, what does our attitude need to be while we're waiting on God? What, what does our attitude need to be through all of this? So let me close this morning with three attitudes that we need to have while waiting on God. And after I've mentioned these three points, our worship team is going to come back and they're going to lead us in a time of worship talking about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And listen to me, I'm telling you, you can trust Him. You can put all of your trust, you can put all of your faith in Him. He's going to take care of you. But what does our attitude need to be in this season? Of waiting. Number one, we need to be waiting expectantly. Because listen to what the scripture says here in Psalm 130, verse 5. He said, I wait for the Lord. I expectantly wait. And in his word do I hope. Listen, I'm not pacing the floor. I'm not going to sit around and, 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 and just, you know, wring my hands in worry. I'm, I'm waiting on God and I'm waiting expectantly. I'm, I'm expecting God to show up. I'm expecting his favor. Every day I get up out of the bed, I expect the favor of God. I expect God to hear and to answer my prayer. And that's the way we wait on God. We wait on him with expectancy. When we wait on God with expectancy, it, it just shows that we have trust in him. It shows that we have faith in him, that we believe that God is going to do what God says he's going to do. But not only do we wait expectantly, secondly, and this is so hard, <laughs> this is so difficult, but we wait quietly. No grumbling, no griping, no complaining, no blaming. You know, we don't mind waiting as long as we can about it. Just like us standing in line at a fast food place. If they don't get our food to us as quickly as we think, we start griping. We start complaining. Somebody's not doing their job. And I'm sure folks do the same thing with God. God, you're not doing your job. Griping and complaining. But listen to what the scripture says. The scripture says in Lamentations 3.26, it is good. Everybody say that with me. It is good to wait quietly. For the salvation of the Lord. I believe that's why God told Joshua to tell the people when they were to march around the walls of Jericho, they were to do it one time a day for six days, and then on the seventh day they were to march, they were to march seven times around those walls. And here's what Joshua said to them. He said, don't you say a word. Don't shout until I tell you to shout. And I think the reason why the Lord told them that is because sooner or later when they started walking around those walls, 
somebody would speak up and start griping and complaining. This is the dumbest. This is the craziest thing. This, this is the worst plan that I've ever heard of. Who, who would ever think that by us marching around these walls that these walls were going to come down? And so God told Joshua, you tell the people, don't say a word, don't shout until I tell them to shout because he knew the power of our words. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so even in this season that we're in right now, where, where there's a lot of things that we don't understand, and, and, and maybe you don't feel like God is moving as quickly as God should be moving. Look at this. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So we wait expectantly. We wait quietly. And then finally, we wait confidently. Because look at what the Scripture tells us in Micah 7 and 7. As for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me, waiting with confidence. And that's what this song is about that the team is going to sing for us here in just a moment. It reminds us of how faithful God has been, of how good God is, and that while we're waiting, we can stand in confidence, knowing that he is our rescue. He is our refuge of very present help in time of trouble. Amen. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis people's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.